let's uh, let's open in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing over this message this morning, Father God. Let us hear from you. Let us hear from your heart, Lord. Not from a man, not not from the thoughts of a man, but from your heart this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for it establishes sound doctrine. And we just give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this. Thank you, New Hope Band. Thank you, Throwback Singers. That was awesome. I complained because Pastor Joe always gets to preach on the Throwback Sundays and the Choir Sundays. So somehow, I get to preach on a Throwback Sunday. So lots of fun for me. Uh, Bet that song means a lot to me too. It's one of my favorites. I love it. It's on my prayer playlist. Um, it comes on all the time, and it never gets old to me. And those scriptures and psalms and are awesome. If you ever get discouraged and get beat up and get depressed, flip the psalms. Flip the psalms 18. Read through all that stuff. It will build you up, and it will make you glad despite what you're going through. Okay, so we got some doctrine we have to go through this morning, okay? Because this can be a little confusing, but... We want to clear all this up so that everyone can understand sound biblical doctrine, okay? To do so, we're going to start out with just a, a little bit of history this morning. Now, I know some of you like history and some of you don't, and if you don't, I understand, I get it. Not everyone's a, a history buff. Neither am I, really, but I like to learn some history, especially church history. So, maybe a little show of hands. Anyone ever heard of the Council of Trent? Ever heard of that? There's... Lots of different church councils happened all through uh, history. Um, the, the Council of Trent was actually held roughly about 500 years ago or so. And it was in response mainly to the Protestant Reformation movement that was going on. How many of you remember, I don't know, six months ago, maybe a year ago, I know that's a long time ago, I preached a sermon and we talked a lot about the Reformers. You know, all those awesome uh, people that stuck their neck out and really reformed what was going on in churches in that time. So if you can remember that, um, that's good. That'll help you a little bit today. But I hope you'll remember, to, to refresh your memory, that you are technically a Protestant today. I am a Protestant. This is technically a Protestant church. Now, I know we don't really call it New Hope Protestant Church. We don't use terminology like that. Sometimes maybe I wish we did, but in all actuality, we are a Protestant church this morning. If you remember, the, these reformers, they started uh, reading and translating the Bible for themselves, and they, they found that the church of that era was not teaching sound biblical doctrine. And that began to bother some of these people. They found that they were not conducting themselves Biblically, to a biblical standard. They, they were not teaching truthful biblical principles. These reformers began to read the Bible when they were studying. They, they were very learned men. They, they taught themselves Greek. 
Greek is, is difficult. They taught themselves. They searched all around. They found manuscripts, original Greek manuscripts, New Testament manuscripts, ancient ones. They would find them for themselves. They would teach themselves Greek, and they would begin to study the scriptures for themselves. And they were saying, wait a minute, you guys aren't teaching what this actually says. Something's wrong here. They also noticed that the church of that time was controlling the Bible. They did not let regular people have the Bible. They were controlling it using a language that only their own people knew. Their only scholars knew. So that regular people did not have access to the Bible. That, that's one of the things that bothered the reformers. They, their control over the Bible. They were twisting the scriptures for their own gain, for their own profit. The, the church of that time was to keep authority. So the reformers, they started translating the Bible. They started teaching others the, the real biblical truths. They started preaching real biblical truths. If you remember the sermon I did a while back on the, the reformers, we, there were certain reformers that would come and read the actual Bibles and tens of thousands of people began to gather because they'd never heard the actual real biblical truths. And it started to change people. They started teaching, preaching, and translating, and then they started distributing these Bibles to regular people. If you remember the names like some of the reformers, the, the William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, remember I put all their pictures up, Johann Hus, uh, Martin Luther was one of them. They are the reasons, the, those men, they're the reasons why we have a reliable, translated English Bible today because of what they did. They're the reasons why we have the Bible. You and I, just regular folks, we have the Bible today because of the Protestant Reformation that these men said, wait a minute, this isn't right. What you guys are doing is wrong, and I'm going to stand up and voice this. Now, most all of those men were killed. If they were not killed, they were hunted down and had to go into hiding, and, and they would secretly do their things and distribute Bibles all over the world. Most all of them were killed, many of them very, very violently killed. If you remember, you know, the, one, of, one of the things they, they were protesting about was they, they thought and they knew that it was right that all people of all nations should be able to have access to the sacred scriptures. But the Bible was being controlled back then by those uh, Latin scholars were the only ones that had the Bible. It was in Latin. No one knew Latin except for the certain people that knew Latin. You know, the reformers, listen, they also protested certain doctrine. Okay, now stick with me, everyone. Keep your thinking caps on for a little while, and this will all make sense to you. So once the reformers started getting these scriptures and translating them and reading them and studying them, they realized that they were being taught wrong doctrine. That things they were being taught and the, what the church was teaching, what the church was propagating, they were saying, wait a minute, this isn't right. This isn't what the actual scriptures teach. Now remember, whoever controls, I've said this many times now, and I think we all realize and know it's true, whoever controls the flow of information becomes very powerful, right? If none of you have access to the Bible except only me, that makes me a pretty important person, doesn't it? 
Because everyone has to go through one person to get any truth. Well, that's what these reformers were saying. Wait a minute, this isn't right. So whoever controls that flow of information is very, very important, and they keep power. Just look at our media today. They really tell you what they want you to hear, and it's all to control, to, to fearmonger, or whatever they want to do, whatever they're trying to accomplish. So that's what the church of this era was doing. They were controlling the scriptures so that no one could have them, and these reformers were saying, wait a minute, everyone deserves the Bible. And then as they started to study it, they started saying, wait a minute, you're not even teaching the right stuff. You're not even teaching biblical truths. So one of the things that the church at that time stated was that salvation, in other words, the way to heaven, they stated that salvation was found by a mixture of faith and works. That's what the church was teaching. Matter of fact, that's very prevalent in the nation still today, in many churches still today, that the way to heaven is found by faith, which is really believing in Christ Jesus, and by works, which is your good deeds or your ability to obey. It merits, in other words. Well, the reformers started reading scriptures, and they realized that they were being misled, that that's actually not what the Bible teaches the Bible doesn't teach that. They, they came across scriptures like this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this. It says, for, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So these reformers are saying, wait a minute. They're teaching that we're saved by a mixture of faith and works, but the Bible says it's by grace I'm saved and not of myself. It's the gift of God and also goes on to say not of works, not of anything that I can do. So they stood up and said, wait a minute, church, you're wrong. You're not teaching biblical things. We are saved by grace through faith. And it's the gift of God. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what he did. Well, that caused a lot of trouble. In reaction to what the Protestants, these protesters were saying, the, the Roman Catholic Church at that time called together the Council of Trent. Okay, It was a reaction to the Reformers, what they were saying. And they were trying to combat it. So it was a, a gathering of all the religious leaders at this time. They gathered together and they reaffirmed. Listen now, they reaffirmed that salvation was by a mixture of faith and works. So they said you are saved when you believe in Jesus and when you do these good things, when you follow the law, when you do good deeds. So they were saying, no reformers, you guys are wrong. We're here to reaffirm this, that the way you make it to heaven is by believing in Jesus and also doing these good deeds. And these reformers are saying, wait a minute, that, that's not what the Bible says. Now, at the Council of Trent, they also confirmed a doctrine called transubstantiation. I'm sure some of you have heard about that. That's for a different day. They also uh, confirmed that uh, church... Tradition 
was just as equally authoritative as Scripture. That's for a different day, but to me that gets on very, very dangerous ground. But they were trying to combat these Protestants that were saying, hey, you, you guys aren't teaching the actual biblical truths. So now here we are today, hundreds of years later, here we are as a church gathering. And you have to realize that New Hope Church, we are, we're actually a small slice of the offspring of the Protestant Reformation. We are, we are continuing in what they taught hundreds of years later. We are descendants of the Reformation movement, okay? And their rally cry, listen now, their rally cry hundreds of years later was salvation by grace, grace alone through faith alone, okay? Grace alone through faith alone. Now, we believe that here at New Hope. That is what we teach. That is what we preach. You've heard Pastor Joe preach about it. You've heard me preach about it many times. We just read scriptures, which we'll read again. Listen, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Brothers and sisters, you don't go to heaven because of your good deeds. That is not what the Bible teaches. It is not merit-based. It is not based on your ability to keep the Ten Commandments. It is not based on that at all. It is based on grace, which is unmerited divine assistance from God. That, that's how you, when you place your faith, when you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection, your sinlessness. I believe in your, your blood was the atonement for the sins that I committed. And I am made righteous through your deeds. That's what faith is. It is by faith alone and grace alone. That's how we're saved. That is it. That's what we teach here. That's what we believe here. Romans 3.28, which I didn't give this one to the booth, but I'll just read it real quickly. Listen, the Bible confirms this over and over. Therefore we conclude, so th this is the, the author Paul drawing a conclusion. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified. Now that's just a fancy word for saying you're just in the eyes of God. Meaning you're clean in the eyes of God. You're righteous in the eyes of God. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So that is affirming what these reformers said. Grace alone through faith alone. Okay? Don't get tricked up in all this stuff. We also have several verses in Galatians. Okay? Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. All of us are going to walk away today having learned some serious theology, okay? This is borderline getting into some strong meat of the word. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, listen now. It says, knowing that a man is not justified, meaning justified, meaning clean before the eyes of God. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith. Of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that he might be justified by the faith of Christ and not the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So really, the Ten Commandments is not here to justify us. It actually is here to condemn us. That's what the law is for. 
Okay, this is stating plainly that salvation is not achieved by your good deeds. If you helped an elderly person across the road, or if you gave someone some money and helped them out, that does not equate into now you can go to heaven because you're a good person. That, that's not the biblical doctrine. It is by faith alone through grace alone. It's stating plainly that salvation is not achieved by our good deeds or by our capability to keep the laws of God. It is not by our own merit. It is the gift of God. It's from Him to us. That's what salvation is. The law, the Ten Commandments, the, all the thou shalt nots, all those, they can only prove our guilt. Galatians, listen, Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. For it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So we have these laws of God, these commandments from God. And the Bible says you cannot be made clean by them. They can only prove that you are guilty. That you cannot measure up to the standard of God. If, if I bring myself this morning and I measure myself to the Ten Commandments, I find myself guilty because I've broken them. Every one of us in here, the same way. If you're perfectly honest, We've broken them over and over. They can only prove guilt. They can only bring condemnation. They do not bring justification. So we see this morning, follow with me now. I know this is a lot, but we're getting somewhere. We see that the reformers, all those awesome men, the, the John Wycliffe's, the William Tyndale's, the Martin Luther's, the Johann Hus, we see that these guys were correct. That When they said, hey, wait a minute, you, you guys are teaching that you can sa be saved by belief in Jesus, and doing good works. But that's not what the Scriptures are saying. These reformers, they were right. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Now, Galatians 3.22 even goes on to say this. But the Scripture has concluded, all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So, the Scriptures are concluding that all of us are sinners. All of us. Remember how many times I have told you, you can't even be saved if you don't think you need saved. You can't even be saved if you don't know you need saved. So the message of the Bible is to show mankind's guilt. We're guilty. Skip down to verse 24 in Galatians. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I love how the Bible breaks it down in very simple terms. It's kind of like saying, hey, the, the, the law, these Ten Commandments, all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, it's kind of like a schoolmaster that leads you to Jesus. Because if you start looking into the law of God, you start saying, man, I, I keep breaking these things. I, I, 
I don't have the ability to do what he says to do. I don't have the ability to not do what he says don't do. So it is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ that makes me say, man, compared against this law, I need saved. I need someone to save me because I'm scared what's going to happen to me at the end of my life because God said not to do all these things. I find myself doing them. I need a Savior. I need a Messiah is what the Bible is saying. It's the schoolmaster that leads to Jesus. Who's the schoolmaster? The law. God's laws. Brothers and sisters, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That is biblical doctrine. When you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you're saved. When you believe in your heart, the Bible says, and you confess with your mouth, you're saved. That's what salvation is. When you genuinely believe that Christ's blood is the atonement for the sins that you committed, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. Listen, when you genuinely admit that you have rebelled against God, do you know that's what sin is in a very basic term? It's rebellion to God. That's what sin is. When God says, hey, uh, don't do this, and you, no matter what you say, when you do it, you're saying, no thanks, God. I choose to rebel against you. It's just like little kids. That, that's all it is. It's like little kids. And if you have little kids, you say, don't, don't eat your snacks before your healthy food. And as soon as you turn your back, they eat their snacks. It's rebellion. That's what we do on a grander scale in the eyes of God. We rebel. If you can admit to that, and then you believe in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and then you confess on it, and it's all done through a genuine heart, you're saved. Through faith alone, grace alone. That means you're saved. Okay? No, no big confusion there, right? That we, we read several scriptures that bluntly say it. They bluntly state it. What's the big hubbub about? What were they all arguing about 500 years ago? How come the Protestants had to, to fight? What, what's the big deal? They, they were saying grace alone, faith alone. And the others were saying, no, it's a mixture of faith and works. Well, all of it seems clear, grace alone, through faith alone, until you're reading through your Bibles and you come to James chapter 2. Here's where things can become a little bit confusing. And almost at first glance, you might think, wait a minute, this is contradicting the scriptures we just read. No problem until you come to James chapter 2. We're getting into some deep theology this morning, aren't we? We should know these things, church. These are the things we believe. These are some of the foundational truths we believe. We need to know some of these things. James chapter 2 seems to take everything that we just said and almost turn it on its head, in a sense. We, we all agree, grace alone, through faith alone, yes. Then you come to James chapter 2 and listen to what it says. James chapter 2, verse 14. says, what does it profit? My brethren, though a man says he has faith and has not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I'll, 
Maybe I just, wait a minute here. This seems to be, I thought we just said grace alone through faith alone. Now here we have James saying faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Wait a minute now. Were the Roman Catholics right at the Council of Trent? Did did, did the reformers get something mixed up here? Is salvation, is the way to heaven a mixture of faith and works? Now, at first glance, some of this does seem to contradict the things that we just read that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul wrote all those previous scriptures that I read to you. Now, here we have this man, James, who's technically Jesus' half-brother, a very learned man, He's saying these things. Now, what if we can put our first picture up this morning? Could this equation be correct? Let's look carefully at this equation. Faith plus works equals salvation. It kind of seems like that's what James is saying. He's saying that, that, that faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. So faith plus works equals salvation. Is, is that right? Now, Don't get confused. Stick with me here because this can seem to be a little confusing. Let's let's keep reading, church, and see if anything begins to clear up. Okay? James chapter 2, verse 18 now. We'll continue reading. James says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me your faith. Without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works... And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not only by faith. Verse 25 says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, at first glance, it does seem that James is kind of contradicting what the Apostle Paul just told us. The Apostle Paul says, Salvation, or justification, is by faith alone. By believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And it also seems here that James is saying that salvation, or justification, is by faith and works. So it can get a little tricky. But if you look closely, brothers and sisters, remember we always say here, context, context, context of what you're reading. If you'll look closely, you'll see here that all James is trying to do here is refute the fact that one can be saved By a dead faith. That's all he's trying to do. He's saying if you have a real faith. It will produce works. It will yield works. 
That's all he's trying to say. If it is genuine, if you really true do believe in the things that you're saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, his sinlessness, his blood atonement makes me righteous. If you say that, James is saying, then works will manifest themselves in your life. That is the evidence of your proclamation of faith. Look back now, knowing that, look back at verses 18 and 19. And I want to read this in the New American Standard Version. Okay? James 2 verse 18 says, But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe in shudder. You see, James is stating that both of these people claim to have faith. Both of these people say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in what he did. But only one of those people's faith claims is substantiated. You see what James is saying? Both of them say it. Brothers and sisters, I've worked with dozens and dozens of people over the years that have said, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I got saved a long time ago. But everything that I saw from them was rank heathenness. The filthy language, the, the talking about women, the passing around the, the dirty things. And, and said, so, wait a minute. That's what James is clearing up here. He's saying, uh, you can say that you have faith all day long, but I'll show you my faith. My, my faith can be substantiated because the person that truly believes will yield fruit. It will manifest in their lives. That's what naturally happens to a person that has genuinely confessed on Jesus. James is saying that true faith in Christ should produce works. It should produce good deeds. If you look out at your life, at the branches of your life, you ought to look over and there should be some fruits hanging off of there. Fruits of the Spirit, you know, the joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, temperance. All those things should be manifesting themselves. Now, I know that you might not be loaded down producing so much fruit because God still prunes things. But there should be something that you can look at and say, man, the Lord is doing this through me. So, what James is saying, if a, if a true faith produces works, if a true faith produces fruit, and you have a faith that doesn't produce any works or fruit, something's wrong. That, that's all that James is saying. He's not contradicting what the Apostle Paul said at all. He is only saying, if you have made this faith proclamation that Jesus is Lord, and you don't have any fruit producing in your life at all, if there's nothing growing inside of you, growing, hanging off of your branches, something's wrong, James is saying. I, I, James is saying, I, I fear that your faith proclamation wasn't genuine. Something's wrong. You went wrong somewhere. James is saying, it's just like seeing a cold person and you wish them to be warm and you have the ability to give them a coat. James is saying that that's what a dead faith is. 
Dead faith is someone that sees a cold person and says, Ah, oh, man, I, buddy, I wish you was warm. Have a nice day, man. Be warm. And, and walks on down the road. James is saying, you, you have the ability to give them a coat. Give them a coat. Because in giving the coat, it substantiates your proclamation of faith. James is saying, he's, he goes on and says, it's just like seeing a hungry person. And you say, man, God bless you. Be filled, brother. And you say all the right churchy things. Maybe you can even pray the church lingo or the church jargon. May the Lord bless and fill you, my brother. And you walk on down the road, and James says, and you don't get them any food. He says, then your faith statement that you made, it is unsubstantiated. Because you made the statement, but there were no works that went with it. Therefore, he fears and is saying that you have a dead faith. Your faith statement was not genuine. If you get them, he's saying if you, if you get them a coat or, or something for they can be warm or, or if you get them food, then the proclamation that you've made, I am saved, I am a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's saying then if you, if you do the deed, then it's substantiated. It is evidenced. We can say, man, that, that person truly does believe. Look, he just gave him a coat. He just gave him a coat right off of his back. He not only talks the talk, but he walks the talk. You, you said that you had faith, and then you demonstrated your faith. James saying, that's how you know it's real. When you not only state it, but when you demonstrate it. James is saying that if your faith doesn't produce any good works, if it doesn't produce any good deeds, if it doesn't yield any fruit, then it's nothing more than some sort of faith statement that you have made or said at some point in your life with no real conviction. You know, the Bible says to confess it with your mouth, but believe it in your heart. There are millions and millions and millions and tens of millions, I would argue, in America. Maybe they have confessed it with their mouth. If you look at polls and stuff like that, I, I think it's still around like almost half of the United States is saved, I think, is what the latest polls, 50-some percent. I, I would argue it's probably in the single digits of percent of how many people are actually saved. There's tens of millions of people that have made a faith proclamation but their claim is unsubstantiated. There is no evidence, none whatsoever. No conviction behind it. You, you made some sort of a, a, a you, ha, you had a notion one day. Yeah, this Bible thing does sound right. Yeah, okay, I bet I, Jesus did believe, or Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. Maybe you did it for some sort of, hell insurance or something. So just in case if the whole thing is true, maybe it'll keep me out of hell. The Bible says it has to be genuine. It has to be from your heart. You know if it comes out of your heart, it's genuine. You truly not only believe it up here, but you believe it down here. That's why the Bible tells you, believe it and speak it, and then believe it from your heart. Because it has to be genuine. Then James goes on, to further clarify, you see, brothers and sisters, if you, 
skim over the Bible, you may get confused. And something might sound contradictory. But if you look deeply into it, the Bible always clarifies itself. Always. James goes on to even give us a couple of examples of people that had faith that was substantiated by what they did in their lives. James says, what if Abraham hadn't offered his son Isaac? Now, if there's any Bible nerds in here that love searching through your Bibles or studying your Bibles, study someday Genesis chapter 22. Very, very important chapter in the Bible. It is the chapter where God actually tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, you remember last time I preached, I actually preached on the covenant. One of those covenants was with Abraham. Okay, God had promised Abraham that he would bless him and his seed would cover the earth like the grains of sand in the sea. It would be so numerous. And God also said that all of that promise, all of that covenant would come through Isaac, his son, his, his, his one son. Now he had Ishmael, but the promise was through Isaac. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Well, what if James is saying, James is pointing back to that as an example of faith. What if Abraham would have said, I believe in you, Lord. I do, I really do, Lord. But Lord, you gave me this promise. I, I can't, can't sacrifice my son because I got this promise through him, Lord. And James is saying, then his faith would have been dead. But Abraham had so much faith. They actually call him Father Abraham. He had so much faith that Abraham believed. He said, okay, God, you, so you gave me this promise that the generations of my seed would be as multiple, or like the sands of grain of sands on the sea. They'd be that numerous, and it would come through Isaac, and now you're telling me to sacrifice him. Abraham had so much faith that he believed, and he said, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to raise him from the dead or something. And he actually did it. He actually was going to do it. And the angel of the Lord came and stopped him and said, don't do it. But James is saying to look back at that. He's saying Abraham was a man that not only said it, not only said, I believe in God, I believe in Yahweh, but he also acted upon it. He's saying that's what a real faith looks like. That even though this man had this, this covenant with God, to his generations after him would be blessed and would be numerous, that Abraham had so much faith, real genuine faith, that he was actually going to carry it out. Believing in faith that, I don't know, God can raise him from the dead or somehow I know this covenant's going to be true. James is saying, look back at him, study Genesis chapter 22, and you will see what real faith is. It is not just sort of some sort of statement that you make. It's something that the statement coupled with a real and genuine belief in the statement that you're making. That Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord of my life. That's not just a fancy church phrase. For many it is, but for me it isn't. And if you have a real, true belief, that shouldn't just be church lingo. It should be what you really believe, what your life is really based on. He is my Lord, and He saved me. It doesn't all come from up here. 
Some of it's up here. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. Our heart and our soul and our strength, all of it, the totality of what I am as a human being should believe and, and project, He saved me. I believe in Him with everything in me. Look at, at, at verse, back to verse 23 says, Abraham believed God in James 2. Abraham believed God. His, his, he, he acted upon his faith proclamation. Abraham trusted God enough that he acted his faith out. Though the promise was even through his son, he was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed and his faith had some feet to it. His faith had some action. It produced fruit. James is saying, that's what real faith is. That's what real faith is. It is not just a statement. Good works, good deeds, those are the natural products of genuine faith. Brothers and sisters, when your coworkers see you, they ought to see these things in you. They should. You shouldn't be hating on management like everybody else. And I know those people can be very nerve-wracking, but you shouldn't be as miserable as the next person that doesn't have God. You heard our singer this morning had a death diagnosis, yet her prayer was, Lord, through the death diagnosis, make me glad. And a real and genuine faith can make you glad even if you get a death diagnosis. That's what real faith is. Your family members, when you get together at Thanksgiving, when you get together at Christmas, if you have unsaved family members, most all of us do, or backslidden family members, whatever, they should see something inside of you. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is more than just the words you say. It's more than that. It should, should mean everything to you. Your whole life should revolve around the very center, Christ. It, sh it should be your point of existence. You shouldn't really exist for anything else. James is saying that's what real faith is. If you have real faith, the works and the deeds will manifest themselves in your life. Now, if we look at this, Closer, James is actually saying the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul said. There is no contradiction at all. Listen to, listen, let's go back to the Apostle Paul now. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. We'll go back to Ephesians. Just after he's telling us that we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, listen to what he tells us just after that. We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We've read this a couple times now. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul is saying the exact same thing that James is saying. There is no contradiction. They're saying the exact same thing. 
A genuine faith leads to good works is what they're both saying. Now, let's go back to our equation. Again, let's, let's bring up the next one. That faith plus works equals salvation. Can we bring up our next picture? Incorrect. <laughs> Wrong. Faith plus works equals salvation. That is not correct. We saw that. We have many scriptures substantiating that. All Apostle Paul's teachings, James' teaching, that is not right. Let's rearrange our equation and let's make it right now. There it is, brothers and sisters. Faith equals salvation plus works. That is the right equation, brothers and sisters. That is sound biblical doctrine. A genuine faith in Jesus produces salvation and good works. That is what the Bible actually teaches. That is what Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, that is what James teaches. That faith, a genuine belief in Jesus Christ, a genuine belief in the atoning power of his blood, that he took your guilt for the things that you did, the punishment you should have received, he took it. You genuinely believe in that. And that's what equals salvation. And then with salvation comes the works, the good deeds, the fruits will manifest in your life. Faith equals salvation plus works. That's what the reformers were trying to say. And here we are, 500 years later, and we look at these things. Works, the good deeds, they're the fruit of a genuine faith. Works are the fruit of being regenerated. Works are the fruit of being justified and sanctified. The good deeds, the good works that we do, listen now, they are evidence of salvation, not the reason for salvation. Do you see that? It's the evidence of true faith, not the reason that you're saved. The good things you do, that's not what saves you. It is only evidence of the real faith that you have in your life. Listen, if you give a cold person a coat, that is evidence of your salvation, not the reason for your salvation. If you feed a hungry person, that is evidence of your genuine faith, not the reason that you're saved. I, I hope this clears all this up. You didn't get saved because you gave them a coat. You got saved when you made the genuine faith proclamation in Christ. That's when you got saved. It just was substantiated when you gave them the coat. It's substantiated when you gave them the food. The good deed of giving the coat to the cold person, it just serves as evidence that your faith is genuine, that you got the real deal. Now, if I can invite the band to make their way back, Make two more quick little points before we go. I know that this can be a little confusing when you get into some of the meat of the word. But many of us have been coming to this church a long time. We should be able to handle some of these things. Two quick points. Number one, the reformers were right. They were right. It is... It, it is 
We're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. The reformers are right. That they started saying, hey, you guys aren't teaching the right things. And, th- and those people stuck their neck out on the line and were slaughtered. And now we can have the truth. 500 years later, they were right. They paid for it in blood. How many of you know the, these, these, these Bible pages, all of them are stained in blood? The truth is the most provocative, fought over thing, covered up, buried, battled over thing in all of humanity. And this is the truth. It is the truth. So point number one, the reformers are right. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And the second thing, it's not really a point. I want to take this entire sermon and turn it back on you and ask you this. So, after we learned this doctrine this morning, are you producing any fruit? Are you producing anything? Can you be honest now? Can you look at yourself in the spiritual mirror this morning and say, I I do see him. He's working in me. He's pruning me. He's producing fruit in me. Can you genuinely say that? Or... If you look in the spiritual mirror this morning, if there's nothing there, church, something may have went wrong. Very basic, simple question. Are you producing any fruit? If if you hold your faith up to the scrutiny of James chapter 2, would it be genuine faith or would it be dead faith? You understand that? Are you the type of person that says, Yes, we see this need, but somebody else in the church will get that. God bless you, brother. Somebody else will take care of it. Pastor will take care of that. A lot of people do that. Somebody else will get it. I, I, would, I would be careful what kind of faith you have. We'll close with this. If you have made the statement, I am a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, you should be producing some sort of fruit that glorifies God. That is 100% sound biblical doctrine. If you've made that statement, there should be something being produced in your life. Let's stand this morning.